Today's word comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and the book of Romans, chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is the word of the Lord. And so last week I started this series called Union with Christ. And we went into, we started talking about this strange reality that it was, that our sister read out of Colossians chapter 3. That you have died. That's the way it says, you have died. It was a past tense. It's like, it's very strange. I'm so alive, but somewhere the Bible says we have died, we have been risen in Christ. And it says this very other strange thing. Your life, your life is hidden with Christ in God. So your real life of who you really are, if you believe in Jesus, is not quite what you think it is. That's what I talked about last week. And that your actual, the deeper reality, this mysterious reality, which can look elusive and even kind of invisible. It's a hidden reality in Christ with God. And when your life appears, then you, your real you, is going to shine out in glory with him. That's what we talked about last week. So I want to go deeper into this today. And I want to start talking about, um, I'm going to try to give you an initial pass as to what is this thing that we are united to Christ? What is union with Christ? And then I'm going to start to unpack some of the deep implications of this. And we start talking about this last week. Um, and um, so, you ready? <laughs> Let's get into this, okay? Part one, all his benefits through union with Christ. Okay, that's part one. All his benefits. I want to emphasize the word all. All his benefits through union with Christ. Part two. United to Christ's death and resurrection. I want to put emphasis on the word and. You're united if you believe in Jesus. You're a follower of Jesus. You've been baptized into his life. You are united into his death and resurrection. That's part two. All right? And part three, indestructibly loved even when you're dying. This is one of the deep implications of being united to Christ in his death, even. You are indestructibly loved, even when inside you feel like you're dying. And that's what I want to close. Deep implication of union with Christ. So, so let's start today's message this way. Um, let's go to Romans chapter 6. So this is the new text. Last week... I, t I, I read the strange things that you, if you have been raised with Christ, if you have been raised with Christ, past tense, um, you have died, 
and your life is hid with Christ. Past tense. There's another passage, Romans chapter 6. And um, it's a passage that, this is the context. I'm just give you a little context here. It's, it's this idea. Jesus has died and paid for all our sins. It says all our sins have already been forgiven. There's this question that some people think. Does that mean then you could just kind of do whatever you want? <laughs> Can you go about sinning and living a sinful life since Jesus already paid for all your sins and we're already forgiven? That's kind of the question because that's, that's a logical question because the gospel proclaims that everybody who's given their life to Jesus and put their faith in what he's done for us, you've been utterly forgiven of all your sins. And by grace now, you're wholly accepted. So people ask this question. But here's how this passage goes. It goes like this. Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall I say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace must abound? That grace may abound. You know, you just need, it's like grace just gets bigger and bigger because we just keep sinning more. And this is the answer. By no means. And then he goes into this thing. How can we who die to sin still live in it? How can we who die to sin still live in it? Verse 3. And here's where he's starting to talk about union with Christ. And oftentimes people don't really quite get this. And I want to just say, say a little something before I read this next portion. Um, there's a lot of people who think that religion, that religion is just the stuff that people make up. And if you have faith in it, there's some kind of imaginary, nonsense, kind of fairy tale. You believe in this in your head, and that's kind of the doctrine of religion. But that is absolutely not how the Bible looks at salvation. There's no way. That's how, how the Bible looks at salvation. Everything inside the gospel is always first based on an objective reality. So it's not based on, so a lot of people think that there's objective reality, things like I'm, I'm alive, I'm here, I make X amount of money, I'm this old, like that's objective reality. But like religion, isn't that just some kind of subjective fairy tale? That's how a lot of people think. But the fact is, when it comes to a relationship, you are like, you're you, and let's just, let's just take a different relationship that like you can all understand. Um, you know, you're at some point in your life, you meet a really beautiful young, you know, young woman, or maybe you're not so young, even when you're older. And um, you're, you're, there's an objective fact. There's this guy named Susang. He meets this really lovely woman named Grace. And um, she's objective reality. There's an objective reality. Yes. And, then, and then I fall in love with her. <laughs> and then I said that I want to like, marry you, and we'll, and we'll be together, and I'll love you for the rest of my life. Now, you know, the presence of Susang to Grace or Grace to Susang, that's like an easily, objectively, you know, you could see that. But here's the thing. Is Susang's love for Grace an objective, real thing? See, it's a question mark. So, in the one hand, that's the, there's a question. It's an objective, real, like everybody can recognize that is real. It's undeniably true. But here's the other thing. In order for the relationship to come to fruition and to come to something beautiful, grace has to subjectively, inside of her like person, inside the way she thinks and she feels, she has to accept it and believe it. You get what I'm saying? She has to believe that I love her 
And then when I offer to say, I want to be united to you. So I'm using the word, I'm, I'm using, deliberately using the marriage analogy. Because salvation is an invitation into a relationship. And it takes two to be in that relationship. God can just do something like, okay, I'll just do something and say who I am. But, and, there, and that is objectively true. But you have to believe it and receive it subjectively in yourself. So what often people just think is religion, they just see these people show up at church and then they kind of say these words, they put water on, the, on a person or whatever, and they just think it's pure, like just subjective, like fairy tale, something that we made up. That's never the way the Bible looks at it. The way the Bible looks at it is there's a true God and then he offers something that's objectively real and true and then the person who is must come to him and believe it. See what that is? That's called faith. You know, it's not like faith is some mysterious thing. Religious people, you know, like, there's a lot of people today who think that secular people don't have faith and religious people have faith. It's not true. Secular people have faith in all kinds of things. You know, you're like, you believe, you believe in, I don't know what, you know, there's all kinds of things you believe in. You believe in things about, you know, your nation. You believe in things about your history. You believe in things about your wife. You believe in things about, you know, you believe in things about philosophy. You have faith in all kinds of things. Maybe, maybe you put your more faith in science. Actually, today, it's even like strange. This set of scientists say this. This set of scientists say that. So you have faith. Like, let me put it this way. You have faith in this set of scientists, but not that set of scientists. Faith is not some strange thing that only religious people do. Everybody, you have to believe in some things. And if you don't believe in some things, you don't, it's hard to receive from, because it's, it's relational, it's social. How do you receive that blessing if you're not willing to believe in it, okay? So that's kind of a mouthful. Here's the objective reality, because this is what we're getting into in union with Christ. So many times people think that union with Christ means I have this feeling and then I like, believe in Jesus, and then like now we kind of have this feeling together. And it's all purely subjective. Absolutely, that is not how the Bible presents it. The way the Bible presents it is there's an objective reality, and you are apprehending it with your mind and your heart, and you're believing in it. And I'll be the first to admit that we Christians, we believe in it sometimes poorly, <laughs> Okay? We do. I mean, I've been a pastor a long time, and it's like they believe in it really strongly on Monday. Like, you know, get a member of the church. They believe in it really strongly on Monday, but like by Thursday, it's kind of shaky. Okay? That's normal, but that's okay. The power of your salvation is not in how powerfully you believe it. The power of your salvation is in the power of the reality. You hear what I'm saying? The power of the salvation is not how strongly you believe it. It's in how glorious and amazing the reality is. Now, here's the reality, okay? Verse 3. Here's what he's saying to all you Christians. Some of you Christians are like, can't I just like go around sinning since I've been forgiven? And then he offers you an objective reality. Here it is, verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus... We're baptized into his death. That's what he's put it. 
Do you not know that all of us who have been, past tense, baptized into Christ Jesus, you are baptized into his death? So let's just stop for a moment. There's a day that, you know, maybe you were baptized like the children today when you were a baby. Or maybe you were baptized more as an adult because your parents were not Christians and then you came to faith later on. Regardless of what that is, that, that's kind of the sacrament that we call baptism. But baptism, that symbol, the water symbol, actually points to the underlying objective reality. <laughs> okay? And here's what he says. Do you not know that you who have been baptized were baptized into his death? And here's what he means. Baptism means immersion. You have been immersed into a new reality. So what he's saying is, when you gave your life to Jesus, and then we, we symbolically represented a whole new reality that, that's objectively you received when you came to faith in Christ. What it is, is you were immersed into his death. That's what he's saying. You were immersed into Christ's death. That's the objective reality. Verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So here he goes again. Verse 4. We were buried, <laughs> we were buried with him by baptism into death. So here's what he's saying. So like you're buried, but then when you were raised, you're united to him. See, that's the fundamental reality. And if you're not, if you're like, if it goes, that still seems a little elusive to me. Verse 5, this is the way he puts it. If we have been united with him in a death like his. See, your union, united with Christ. United with him in his death. You've been immersed in his death like a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. You know why Christians know we're going to live forever? Because you've been united to Christ, and he died. But then he didn't stay dead. He conquered death, and then he came forth in a whole new resurrection body, and came to go be with the Father, and he could never die forever and ever. When you, if you give your life to Jesus in faith, it's not just some piece of religion. What has occurred is an absolutely, like, it's invisible. I know it looks invisible, but an objective reality. Somehow, mysteriously, your very person died with Christ on the cross. And since you died with him, and then when he is risen, and he conquers death, you will conquer death. That's the teaching. So let me just start off like this. There's a simple, a seemingly very, very simple question. It was like this. What is union with Christ? What is it? And let me just try to give you a first pass simple answer. A relatively simple answer. The answer each week I'm going to make it a little bit more complex. Because that's how the Bible does it. Okay, but let's start off relatively simply. What is to be united to Jesus? What is this union with Christ thing? Here's what it means. You are in Christ. And Christ is is in you. Let's start there. Your life, you may wake up in the morning and you're like, I, I got to get this report done on time. I have to do this presentation well or I'm going to get a bad grade. If I don't do this 
you know, knock out this presentation. I'm not going to get this promotion. And so you think it's all about you. It's you. You're doing the presentation. But actually, the deeper reality of your life is you're always, if you believe in Jesus, it sounds really weird to put it this way. You're in him. And he's in you. So when you're shaking up there in front of your, like, you know, VP of marketing, and you're like, I sure hope I do a good job here. Otherwise, he might cut me in like six months when they do layoffs. And then I'm going to like, you know, we're not going to make mortgage. Actually, when that's going on, you are in Christ. And Christ is in you. That's the truth. Isn't that weird? It's weird. And the average Christian, regularly... We go and look at our life and we look at, like, like you just look at the, your, the, the, this, this part of your life. But what I'm trying to do in this series is I'm trying to lay down some of faith inside of you to start thinking there's a deeper objective reality which you don't generally see because it's hidden, as Colossians chapter 3 says. Okay? Now I'm going to take you to a quote. Let's go to this. Um, let me put this, let's put this up here. So I'm going to take you to one of the greatest Bible teachers of all time. This is John Calvin. And um, I'm hardly the first pastor that's ever like gone to this quote. And here's how John Calvin talks about this, right? So Jesus did something for us, which we can never do for ourselves. And what he's doing is he's won what the theologians call benefits. I, I always just love that word, <laughs> benefits. It seems so, so low. Because you know what you're always looking for in life? You're looking for rewards, benefits, promises, however, something good, right? Who wakes up in the morning and says, yeah, curse me. <laughs> I want to get, you know, get fired today. I want my wife to hate me today, <laughs> you know? Like, I just want greed and anger, and like, I want somebody to give me the bird today while I'm driving to work, right? No, you wake up every day for benefits. That's what the theologians call it, right? You want some blessing. And you know, in Christ... There's all these blessings, all these benefits, all these rewards. And this is how John Calvin puts it. How do we receive those benefits which the Father bestowed on his only begotten Son? Not for Christ's own private use, but that he might enrich poor and needy men. Let's just stop for a moment. You know where all the benefits are? All the rewards, all the promises, all the life, all the riches, it's in Jesus. And Jesus didn't receive them from God so that, according to John Calvin, for his private use, you know he did it? So that he might enrich poor and needy men, like us. That's us, okay? So how does that happen? First, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. Let me read that again because this is really important. As long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless it's actually useless and of no value. Therefore, to share with us what he has received from the Father, from God, he had to become ours 
and to dwell within us. There we go, union with Christ. You see it? You know, if Jesus, there's so many Christians who just think this. 2,000 years ago, there was this man. Somehow he's God. He, he was a, this good person, and he, like, uh, he loved the poor. He had dinner with prostitutes. He healed the blind. He even raised some people from the dead. People flocked to him because he was loving, and he was unbelievable. And then this crazy thing happened, and he was crucified. He was risen from the dead. And mostly, all that stuff was 2,000 years ago. And then he resurrected, and then he ascended to be at the Father's hand. And mostly, what Christians think is Jesus is up there. And what he did happened 2,000 years ago. And somehow, today, I have to kind of get my mind to, like, believe that. And I have to get my heart to, like, operate inside this religion called Christianity. And then that's faith. I'm going to, like, get my mind and my, like, heart to kind of get into this. But mostly, it's something that happened 2,000 years ago. And he's far, far way up there next to God. That's how so many Christians think. You know what this series is about? To blow that up. You know what I'm trying to teach you? If you think like that, blow it up. Throw it away. You know what John Calvin says? If Jesus isn't here in you, he does not dwell in you, then all of his benefits are separated from you. That's what he's saying. If Jesus is not in you, he's not with you, and you're not in him, you're united to him, then all of his benefits the forgiveness, the new life, the Holy Spirit, to be adopted by the Father, and then now you're being called a son to have everlasting life. All this stuff, you know what? It's separated from you. And you know what John Calvin says? It's useless. It's crazy, isn't it? So here's what it's saying. What I want to get across to you today is Jesus is not up there. He's right here. He's not just even right here. He's like, he's, he's in here. And when I go out and live my life, my real life is hidden with Christ in God. And all his benefits are not like up there far and far away. All his benefits, I'm united to them. They're in me. They're in you. That's what I want to teach you. So let me just, this quote is so good. Let, let me, let me, We'll probably try to unpack it again, but let me read a little bit more. He goes over some Bible passages, all right? It's John Calvin. For this reason, he is called our head. This is Ephesians 4.15. And so let me just stop there. You know what a head is? This is a, this is a picture of marriage. He's the head. Christ is the bride. And you know what the Bible says when you're married to somebody? The husband is the head. The wife is the body. You're united, one flesh. One. United. So if you get saved in Jesus, you know, we have this picture that you get received into the church because the whole church is united with Christ. Christ is always in the church, and the church is always in him. Every member of the church is in him, and he's in every member of the church. It's a mysterious thing, I know. He's the firstborn among many brothers. So this is a little strange. Do you know that every time you meet me, you're kind of getting a little bit of my brother? <laughs> my brother's name is Pilsong, by the way. You're always kind of getting a little bit my brother because I'm united to my brother. I'm united to my dad. 
you're always getting something of Hong Park, Soon Park, Pilsung Park. Because we're, he's in me and I'm in them. Okay? It's a little picture of there. That's how it is with Jesus. John Calvin continues, we also in turn are said to be engrafted into him. Romans chapter 11. So that's the picture. There's like a tree. And then there's like branches that's come off that tree. And that's what he says. You're like, you're grafted into Christ. See, you're like all part of it, the reality, the same reality. And it goes on, and we have put on Christ. This is the picture. When you believe in Jesus, you didn't just believe in some strange doctrine and then go through some kind of strange ritual, baptism. You know what happened? When you, the day you said, I mean, it, it could be really simple. I mean, some people get saved like this. Uh, uh, I, I've heard people like uh, get converted like this. Uh, Lord, I'm, 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 I'm a sinner. Can, can I be in? <laughs> I mean, like, they don't even know how to pray that prayer. God, can I be in? I need Jesus. Can I be in? The day you say that and you mean it, you put on Christ. Christ is now in you, and now your life is in him. That's what John Calvin's saying. That's what Romans chapter 6 is saying. That's what Colossians 3 is saying. And he goes on. For as I have said, all that he possesses is nothing to us until we grow into one body with him. So he just emphasizes it again. So let me finish this quote. It is true that we obtain this by faith. How do you get it? Well, I have to be really, really good, and I have to be like a super good Christian. I have to like pray all the time, and I have to give good money, and I have to, you know, like do all the Christian-y stuff. No, that's not what it says. How do you get this putting on of Christ? By believing in the gospel. That's it, by faith. You know, how did my wife get my love? By believing it. By believing it. She didn't earn it. I gave it to her freely. Now, I'm nothing special. <laughs> but Jesus is. We get it by faith. Not by your works. Not by your ritual. Not by religion. Holy, 100%. Completely by simply believing it. Receive it like a gift. Yet since we see that not all indiscriminately embrace that communion with Christ. Communion with Christ is union with Christ. Communing with Christ. Not all indiscriminately embrace the union with Christ, which is offered through the gospel. Reason teaches us to climb higher and to examine the secret energy of the Holy Spirit by which we come to enjoy Christ and all his benefits. So that's what this whole series is about. I want to challenge all of you who are part of the Revive family, and especially, or if you're not even a part of the Refive family and you're joining us and you consider yourself a follower of Jesus and been baptized in his church, would you examine and climb higher and you would embrace the whole, all of the union with Christ? Embrace all of the union with Christ. Because this is what too many Christians do. You know what we want? You don't want the whole union. You kind of just want a piece. I want, I'm going to get more into this next, you know, in, in future weeks. But so many Christians, we just want like one thing from Jesus. Can we just get forgiveness, please? At the beginning, I'm being really bad. Could you forgive me? And then the rest of your life, it's like, it's like you know, like Jesus now, get, get, back, get in the back seat. 
you gave me the forgiveness, and now I'm going to drive. Can you get the back seat? Make sure we don't get into any accidents. And then, like two years later, you know what you want from Jesus? You want, like, perfectly healthy kids and a great promotion. Because <laughs> you're in the driver's seat. And now, basically, you want Jesus to be your helper to give you a good life. But you know what John Calvin says? Indiscriminately embrace the whole communion, the whole union with Christ, all his benefits. That's what I challenge you in this series. Okay, let's go to part two. Okay, this is going to be short, okay? I want to teach you something from this passage. It said something very strange. You have died. You have been baptized. You've been immersed in his death. And then it says, you have risen. Here's the thing I want to teach you. And I'm going to give you a quote. This will help you. Hopefully some of you just think about the Bible, think about the gospel, right? This is, everyone who has given their life to Jesus, you have been united to Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection. This is really important. You're united to Christ in his death and his resurrection. It's important that you get all of it. And so it's kind of like a, the central center of the Bible. And so I want to give you two quotes, okay? And I will get the, we'll put, uh, the second quote we'll put up. But like, and both of these things I learned from Richard Gaffin. He's my professor at Westminster Seminary. He's one of the greatest theologians I know. Unfortunately, he's not, I don't know why he's not famous, but he'll probably be famous like 50 or 100 years, okay? Because that's, sometimes that's what happens, right? And um, he says the center of the Bible is Jesus. And you know what he says next? The center of the center of the Bible is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The center of the Bible is Jesus Christ. The center of the center of the Bible is what he's done for us through his death and resurrection. Do you know that's all in you? It's all you're united to. So, let me teach you one other thing, also from Richard Gaffin. In the Bible, the death and resurrection of Christ are always, maybe we get this synodokic, we have to put this up because that word is weird, okay? Are always synodokic. And some of you are like, I have no idea what that word means. What the heck does that word mean? Okay, just, let me, I'll tell you, okay? I was an English major, so I actually knew what that word meant. And because it's actually a literary term. So if you're, some of you have ever studied poetry or something like this. So sometimes there's a word. In like, in, um, and then when that word comes up, it's like connected to some other reality. All right, it's like, so if I just say, um, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, I'm like, come up with a good, um, good answer for this. Uh, darn it, I don't know. I'm like, I'm blanking. Like sometimes you hear one, you know, you hear one word. And then you always immediately think of the other, of the other, of the other reality. Like, uh, like this is the, the one that comes to my mind. Um, um, when I was young, there was a, a, a very famous comedian duo. He was like a tall, skinny guy and then a short, fat guy. And he was in all these famous movies, which all you young people have never seen. <laughs> and they were called Abbott and Costello. If you're older, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Right? And so... If you hear about one guy, Abbott, you know what you always think? And Costello. <laughs> if you ever saw a picture of one, like the short, fat guy, you immediately think of the tall, skinny guy. So the way that the, the gag worked was the tall, skinny guy was serious, and the short, fat guy was, was funny. And the two of them, one guy was a straight man, tall and skinny. And like, but one of them, as soon as you think of one, 
you always think of the other, that's synodokic. Okay, you get it? This is what Richard Gaffin means. Whenever there's anything in the Bible that references the death of Christ, it always also means the resurrection of Christ. Whenever anything that says something about the resurrection of Christ, it always also means the cross. And so, whenever you're united to Jesus, you can't just be united to the resurrected Jesus without the cross. You can't just only have the cross of Jesus without the resurrection. When you get Jesus, you get all of him and everything he's done for you. You're united to his death and his resurrection. Do you understand what I'm saying here? And here's what I'm going to say. Um, you're sitting there going like, okay, <laughs> why does that matter? And um, it matters because life is really, really hard. And inside of life, there's always dying. There's always death. There's always dying. There's always curse of sin. And every day we wake up to make money. Every day you wake up to watch some cool thing on TV, something glorious that'll give us life. You wake up to eat like the most horrible food ever, right? No. <laughs> when you want to go out and have lunch with somebody, you pick something that tastes really, really good. If you have really a lot of money, you go to a fancy place. And if you have less money, then you, well, you go to a cheaper place. <laughs> but you always want something good, right? But you know why? So let's just, let's just start there. You know why you have to eat? Because you get hungry. <laughs> and you know why you're hungry? Your body is saying, hello, you're dying. <laughs> That's what your body's telling you. That's what your body's telling you. Hello, food time, because this body is dying. <laughs> Let's eat, <laughs> okay? That's what your body's telling you. Um, I actually did a fast a few, uh, uh, a couple weeks ago. And when I got to about the 30-hour mark, my body was screaming. It was just like, yeah! <laughs> it was just, it was like, it was so intolerable. I was like, I'm fasting because I'm praying, but it's really hard to pray because my, my stomach is killing me. You know what my body was saying? Hello, we're dying. <laughs> Can you please eat? <laughs> so it was telling me. So if you have a salvation that's offered to you, and there's nothing, there's nothing that addresses the dying, there's no place for the death, then, let me tell you something, that's really weak sauce, that's fake. That's fake. So many people think that Christianity is some kind of like fairy tale, like, uh, oh, some nonsense fairy tale story. Somehow you like believe in this Jesus and he's going to love you. And then like you get to go to heaven forever. And like, it'll be like, la-ti-da, pie in the sky, come by, it'll all be wonderful, right? Okay, that is one part of the gospel message. Okay, that's one part of it. I know it sounds like fairy tale. So if you're cynical, that part sounds stupid, okay? If you're cynical. Now, if you're really dying, you know what it sounds like? You're like, oh my goodness. Can that be true? Can that be true? I'm walking through my life and I don't even know if my husband loves me anymore. And if he leaves me, I'm going to go poor. And, you know, you know, a couple years ago, I started wrestling with cancer. Oh, my goodness. 
And so there's this message out there. There's a real God. And even though you failed and screwed up somehow, he will forgive you and love you and give you everlasting life. If you're cynical, that sounds like a fairy tale. But if you desperately need hope, that's pretty, that's, I hope you're interested in that message. But here is also the part of the good news. The gospel is just a message. It's the proclamation. See, the, the gospel is not the whole Bible. It's the message in the Bible of Jesus gives us benefits. <laughs> if you give your life to him in faith, and those benefits will be in you forever. And here's the part I want to emphasize today. The benefits have something to do with his dying. See? It's really strange. And those, the dying part, I know this sounds really weird. It's unbelievably great news to people who are dying. That's what I want to talk about as I close this message, okay? So last week, I told you this story. Um, I was in a place in my life when I was um, kind of searching, and uh, I wasn't sure about my future. I was in a PhD program in systematic theology because I'm a nerdy guy. It's like where I met Richard Gaffin and learned all this stuff. And then um, my wife, she knows this unbelievably holy and godly woman named Beth Kidd who runs a ministry at inner city Boston called Place of Promise. And so I wanted to go talk to this godly woman who was super close to Jesus because I knew that Jesus was so unmistakably real in her that if I talked to her, that the Christ in her would somehow speak to me. I, that's what I was looking for. What I got was incredible. The Christ in somebody else spoke to me. And the person who spoke to me was a woman who had come out of prison. Because this is what Place of Promise does. People are usually, Beth Kids seeks people who are multiply injured. That's what Place of Promise is for. It could be called the Place of Christ Benefits, right? That's like the John Calvin language. The Place of Christ Benefits. That's what she's there for. I wish I could remember her name. I think she was, um, she looked, you know, like, partially Hispanic and maybe some other ethnicity. And um, she was probably in her late 30s. And she was pretty, but there was, like you can tell her life, she had, had been, she'd been beaten down in life. And the way she had come into place of promise was the, you, you, you find she was in prison because she was a drug addict. And um, multiply injured means probably that your father left you and you were probably abused and you did drugs and you ended up in prison. And inside your mind, inside your psychology, inside your, you were just a total crazy wreck of a human being. And this woman, she completely fit that description. She's exactly the kind of person Beth is called to reach with the benefits of the gospel of Jesus. So some certain number of months ago, she called up Beth. Beth said, okay, I think she prayed on her, said, okay, you're, you're just kind of a place of promise. And when I met this woman, 
I mean, you have no idea that she had been a drug addict. You have no idea that she had been in prison. You have no idea that she had been abused. You have no idea that her family hates her guts. You have no idea that everybody that she knows in life had abandoned her because she had wrecked all those relationships by her lies and her failures and everything that she'd ever done that was messed up. And so I'm talking to her. She started talking about, I'm not afraid. I know that I'm going to completely have victory over my addictions. And I know that Jesus is with me. And when I get out of place of promise, bit by bit, I know Jesus is going to win my family back from me and I'm going to have a whole new life. That's, she was absolutely certain. She had this confidence and this power. And it was, it was unbelievable. And when she said those things, let me tell you something. I met a lot of addicted people. 95% of the time, I'm like, good luck with that. <laughs> That's what I think. Because you and I know the odds, you know the statistics, and you are going to pretty much fall off the wagon. <laughs> but when I listened to her, I met the Christ in her. I met the Christ united to his death and resurrection. I met a woman, everything about the old person in her, apart from Christ, had died with Christ. And you know what? So the objective, absolute fact of the reality of her, objective reality of her person, for her, it wasn't hidden. She like knew it. And she had no doubt about it. And when she said it to me, like, I was going like, it's crazy. I don't doubt it either. Because you know what's happening? The real Christ in her was made manifest. And then the glorious her was hidden in Christ, was coming out and speaking to me. The Christ that is hidden in her wasn't so hidden. So the Christ that was in her wasn't so hidden. And when she was speaking to me, the Christ that was united to her, all that she was, she knew that all her sin, all her failure, all the hopelessness that she felt before was dead with Jesus. And when she could meet somebody else, it was like this unbelievably glorious person. Now, I don't exactly know what happened to her. Maybe she had this unbelievable hope and power. And six months later or a year later or whatever, like she fell off the wagon. I don't know. You know, this is really interesting. There are people who are at place of promise. And they will, this is what they actually tell you. They're like, yeah, this is my fourth time here. <laughs> the first time I listened to Beth talk about Jesus. And then she would love us. And then I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I got out. And then like, you know, like three months later, I got my next fix. They end up in prison. And then I call, oh, please forgive me. Oh, okay, okay, I promise this time it'll be different. And then I thought there's no way Beth would take me back, but she did. But she did. And then they came back. They go, okay, 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 this time, this time, this time. And then, yeah, yeah. Then I left six months later, fell off the wagon, back to prison. Oh, my Beth, Beth, please, 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 please. And they're sitting there going, this is my fourth time. I've actually met people talk like that. This is like my fourth time around. It didn't click. It started to click in the third time. 
It'll never come from me. My old self, it needs to die with Jesus. <laughs> See? You know, Beth takes these people. She knows. She knows. She knows they're going to lie to her. She knows they're going to fail. She knows they're going to walk out there and end up in despair. She knows that they may end up on some, like, in a gutter someplace. And then the next time they're in prison, they want to kill themselves. She knows that. You know, she says, Jesus, the absolute ultimate reality of their life is they're united to you. You're in them. You're in them. And you know what? She believes it. She sees it. And when she treats them, she doesn't go, you're not a drug addict. What do you mean? You're my sister. I see Jesus in you. That's the final word. So, I want to close my message with this. In this life, we are regularly tasting death. You get older, and there are signs in your body that you're dying. You know, everybody older, you know what I'm talking about? You get to a certain age. And like, it's like, yeah, it's like it doesn't really recover. You know, the wrinkles start, okay, you know, all that stuff. The hair falls out, the butt, you know, all that. You're dying. <laughs> that's what's happening. But that's happening in your soul, too. That's the much worse one. When you start to feel deep and profound hurt, and loss, your sins, your failure, your guilt and shame, you know what's happening inside of you? You're dying. <laughs> you wake up one day, I don't want to work. What's the point? You're depressed. You know what that is? You're dying. You're dying. All our sins and sinning, and you want to be alive, but you don't need Jesus. You know what that is? Every time you sin, every time you want sin instead of God, every time you want something and you don't care anything about Jesus, every time you're actually living your life and it's all based on you, that's actually a piece of death. A lot of what people think is living is dying. <laughs> Sometimes when I hang out with them, um, some people, like if I'm in a, like a circle and everybody in the room is not a Christian, let's say I like go to a Super Bowl party, everybody in the room is not a Christian. Yay! Oh, let's eat food! And there's all this joy and this happiness. There's a little bit, it's like we're all trying to push up little life. And I, and I think about this, I'm like, this might be the best day they have this month. This might be the best day they have this year. And the reason a lot of them are drinking a little too much or a lot too much is because they're dying. <laughs> That's why we drink. That's why we do all this stuff. If you give your life to Jesus and you're united to him, you are, you are unbreakably, always, indestructibly loved forever. You get that? You want to know what benefit that Jesus gives you and is in you and he'll never leave? Let's just start with the most basic one. You're loved by the Father. <laughs> Just start with that one. You're loved. That's it. How about that? And you know what? They'll never break. 
You're loved even when you're dying. You are loved when you're sinning. You are loved when you're failing. You are loved when you're the worst possible human being you ever, ever thought you could be. You never even thought you could do this. You never even thought you could do this horrible, awful thing. And now for the first time you realize, my gosh, I have done this horrible thing for the fifth time. The first time I was like, oh, it was just an apparition. But now I realize this is me. This is me. If you gave your life to Jesus, you're still loved <laughs> then. Can you believe that? Because the love isn't up there. He's not up there. Love is right here. <laughs> Even when you're dying. Because you're united to his death. And you know what his death does? You're now dying, but your dying is now united to his dying. That's the crazy part. See, you need a death that's actually bigger than your death. That's really weird to say. If you're dying, that's a tragedy. It's like the tragedy of my life. But you know what Jesus did for us? He died for us. So when you are united to him, his dying is your dying. Your dying is his dying. Your dying is in his dying. And then you know what? When Jesus died, he took all your death, all your dying, all your sin, all your despair, all your hopelessness, and he killed it with his death. He killed it with his death. That's why he came. So your deaths, your death and all your little deaths, all your big deaths, are now united to his death, and his death swallows up all your dying and throws it away. Christ is exalted to be next to the Father. You cannot be lost now because you're united to him. So Christ is now forever loved and beloved and cherished by the Father, even though he died, but his death he conquered with his resurrection. So you know what that means? You're always loved by the Father. That's what it means. Because it isn't just that Jesus loves you. He, his death, and Jesus, like the Bible, absolutely honors and exalts his death. And then the absolute ocean of the Father's love is upon the Son. And when you're united to you, it's on you. So let me just close this way. Do you think there's some sin in your life? There's a problem in your life. There's a failure in your life. There's a despair in your life that you can't beat. Is there a sin in your life that's so unforgivable that you think there's no way? I, I can't be a Christian. Even if I wanted to, I can't make it. Let me tell you, throw that away. It's not true. It is not true. All your dying is united to his dying. And when he died, the biggest death of all, you died, past tense, with him. All your deaths, all your dying, all your despair. You know, even when somebody else says, you're the worst. And maybe it's not even you. And like, you believe that. I don't love you. Maybe you're... Parents were the worst parents ever. Maybe your father failed you. Maybe your mother failed you. 
And you believe it, and you just can't shake it. And inside, you're dying, dying, dying. Let me just, tr- can you trust that dying, you could give to Jesus? And he'll say, give that dying to me. I'll kill it with my death. And while you're dying, I will love you forever. And one day you're going to see that this thing is not the final word for you. And you'll be loved forever. Can you believe that? That's union with Christ. I hope that means something to you and offers hope to you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there was this unbelievable woman. Beth did say unbelievable things to me, which I still treasure in my heart today. But I still remember meeting that unbelievable woman. And I got to see that glorious self. And for her, all her crazy, crazy lives and all the ways that her life had been completely blown up and destroyed, she knew they'd all been swallowed up and washed away by your death, Lord Jesus. Your forgiveness was final. Your acceptance was complete. I was talking to a woman who knew she was utterly, absolutely loved. And she had a hope that was so big In fact, it felt bigger than my hope. She had an optimism and a joy and a goodness inside her that was so big. (laughs) It was bigger than even what I I knew at the time. Lord Jesus, can this be true? That the union with Christ is objectively real? And this is the final, ultimate thing about us? Lord, help us believe. And then help us when we have unbelief and pour out your spirit on us today that we could believe you. I pray for anybody who's listening to this message if they do not already know you, Lord Jesus, and this word is calling out to them, saying, come to Jesus, ask him to be united. If you are hearing this word today, you've never given your life to Jesus. Today, you could just say, Lord Jesus, please forgive me, come into me, Let me be yours. This newness of life, the union with Christ can start today. And I pray for all the Christians today who regularly think we're on our own, we regularly think we're muddling through, we regularly think it's all based on our efforts and all our best intentions. It's based on our religion. I pray that today, by the power of your Spirit, we would trust in the truth. The gospel offers union with Christ and an unbreakable, indestructible love in our dying, through our dying, for an, un, an unbelievable hope that is ours forever and ever. Help us to believe that and receive that. In Jesus' name, amen.